podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I think this is the point where I usually clap to start a podcast. I can't clap. If you're looking on YouTube, you'll be able to see why. But I can move my elbow, which I could not do uh, when I first smashed it. So good progress on that. New cast. My previous cast was up to my shoulder. So we certainly moved down a fair bit when it comes to casts. And uh, things are going quite well from that perspective, from my arm perspective. I don't know when I'll be writing again. It will take a little while. But feeling a lot better. I'm not tired all the time. One thing we didn't talk about, and I will probably eventually do a podcast about it because it is quite interesting, is I basically went from being told that they might have to take my arm off to being told I would never be able to move my elbow again to within the space of about 24 hours being told that they've saved my elbow and now two weeks later that I can use my elbow. So I'm Jared Kimber. Welcome to Wagon Wheel. I have an elbow is the best way of putting that. I've got some great questions that have come through on Patreon, actually. First, so if you do want to support the podcasts or the YouTubes or me as a general rule, you can head over to Patreon and you can support us there. There's you know all different kinds of memberships that you, you can buy up. If you're joining live on Spotify Greenroom at the moment, uh, just line your questions up. I'll get to them in a moment. But there's some really good ones on Patreon that have come through. So I'll try and get through those quickly. Clive says, why does Pajara always have questions over his strike rate when he's taking time out of the test and actually helping India? Yeah, I think... We are, we, you know, as a society, we want things quicker. We want things now. I think we always have. I don't think that's a particularly new thing. Pajara is not the slowest scorer in the world. I've said this a lot before. There are far, I mean, you know, he's not the slowest scorer in this series, although he is probably now that Sibley's out. There are times when Pajara's slow scoring really helps. I, I've been working on a theory, especially in these back-to-back series, where what you want as much as possible is for your batters to bat as many balls as possible and for your bowlers to bowl as few deliveries as possible. And I think we saw with the India-Australia series what happens when that doesn't when that doesn't happen, and that was at least in part down to Pajara. That probably doesn't matter as much in England as the ball moves more, although compared to how much the ball was swinging early in the, in the series compared to now, certainly that has changed quite a bit. But, um, you know, essentially I think at this point – uh, we are just, we don't have patience. We, we don't understand that he's playing a different kind of game. And uh, everyone wants every batter to be perfect. And Pajara isn't perfect and Rahane isn't perfect and Kohli and Roots are not perfect. And you have to understand that they are using different kinds of methods to make the runs that they can. Um, and uh, look, I think he's a phenomenal player. I also think he's coming towards the end of his career. I don't think he is the player that he once was. But he was still really handy in that last test. I mean, we could talk about Boomer and, and Shami all, all we want. I'm not sure they're putting that partnership on if it wasn't for Pajara. Um, I think he's a phenomenal player. I just, uh, you know, I, I really do believe that we as cricket fans at the moment, I'm not sure why, we are so looking for these perfect players. Um, the whole history of cricket tells you there's basically Bradman and everyone else is not perfect. Steve Smith can't play left arm fingerspin particularly well, for instance. Everyone's got a weakness. Everyone's got a problem. Everyone's got a method that they are trying to use to be successful in in cricket. Uh, And I think that that is certainly something that we should be um, understanding of a bit more. Uh, Ben has asked, to what extent with analysts, uh, are they more outward focus of scouting or opposition-based strategies and tactics? Uh, Oh, so he's basically saying uh, with analysts, are they 
aiding towards the development of players to uh, rather more than the outward focus of scouting and opposition-based strategies. Yeah, I mean, obviously my stuff has mostly been T20, and that has been my big thing. When I was with Scotland, and it doesn't look like I'm going to be doing the World Cup with it. Actually, I won't be able to do the World Cup even if they ask, but that's probably now. Um, but uh, with, with Scotland, that was my big thing of we can use all this analysis to make our players better. I have noticed as a T20 analyst that has not been the case. I don't know if that's quite the case for the international analyst. My guess is the international analysts probably do a lot of both, probably work a lot with the players. But from a T20 point of view, I think, yeah, you do a lot of scouting, you do a lot of uh, working out who the best players are, you, uh, a lot of you know how to bowl to opposition players, and you maybe don't spend as much time with your own players, which I think is a huge problem, Ben. Um, uh, I really think that in some ways you'd be better off focusing on your own team um, but I, it doesn't seem that T20 tournaments are so short and uh, it's all a bit chaotic that it just doesn't seem to have happened that much at the moment. But it's a you know, really good question. Gopinath says, oh, this is a huge question. Oh, I think basically what Gopinath is asking is, are there fewer part-timers, bowlers than ever before? And there are. Um, I think that there, we might get a bit of an upsurge in part-timers coming back because... What happened was, as cricket got professional into the noughties or aughts or whatever you want to call those that period, you I thought you saw a real drop off of guys going, "Wow, I don't need to, I don't need to bowl anymore. Like I need to, I need to protect my back and my knees and my fingers and my wrist, whatever or shoulder, whatever it would be." And, and these things are important. David Warner. Um, uh, has shoulder issues. Most batters have back issues. Um, some have hip um, and knee issues. All those things are not generally helped by bowling, right? Then I think what we saw is, so you see see guys like Michael Bevan and Simon Kadic, you can't, you can't even drag them to the crease, right? Now what you are seeing is a lot of guys who have bowling talent when they're young are like, well, this is now makes me worth more money. So we might actually get a surge of part-timers coming back. But I think what um, Gopinath is really talking about is the sort of Ganguly, Sachin, Saywag, who he mentions here, those sort of real part-timer, part-timer type bowlers. We don't see them as much. And I think that's just because now, especially in test cricket, we're like, what is the benefit of that bowler? There needs to be a benefit. Even, even if you look at someone like Joe Root, people go on and on about how great Joe Root is. He still averages in the mid-40s, right? He, he's not a consistent wicket taker in test level and i don't think he will ever be consistent wicket taker in test level so the best thing for joe root is to use him in the you know the best possible situations and i think that that is now probably how we are going to see part-timers used a lot more whereas i think before there was almost an automatic use of part-timers between the 70 and the 80th over i mean that was the paul collingwood overs wasn't it that you know he got to the 70th over and they chucked the ball to paul collingwood or to, or to jonathan trott there's a couple of reasons for that. I think that was also before bowlers got really good at bowling with older balls, um, and and the the other th and probably got fitter as well, which is probably also fair. Uh, and I think now that things have changed quite a bit, and uh, teams don't want to give you those ten overs anymore. Um, they really want to keep attacking as much as possible. Uh, so I hope that that uh, that helps you there. Uh, Will says, uh, my question is, do you not think talk of a big three flat as Australia? They're much smaller and less lucrative TV market than England or India. They are, but they did join part of the big three, Will. So, you know, <laughs> they were there. Uh, they were quite clearly the least powerful. They basically said, well, whatever you guys want to do um, to India, but also a little bit to England, uh, which is a bit, bit more odd, I would have thought, with Australia and England's history. 
but no, they're part of the big three because those are the three major TV markets. And, you know, Pakistan could one day perhaps join, although it would be uh, trickier with the relationship with India. But realistically, as cricket is pr- currently done, the three TV markets, that the only three markets that make money off test cricket are India, Australia and England. So I think uh, the big three is fair. Uh, Ian Price wants to know if you would consider getting rid of leg buys. No, because I think it, I think the unintended consequences of getting rid of leg buys would mean that we would bowl differently. I think teams would bowl a lot more straight. I think if you only had two players behind square leg, um, uh, there would be a lot of like fours going past, you know, uh, the the wicketkeeper. Um, uh, I think that uh, there would probably it would ruin spinners. I think spinners would start to bowl really, really weird maybe defensive lines again. I just, I, I mean, this comes up over and over again, but I think the unintended consequences, I, I'd love it if like a tournament did it just to prove that it doesn't quite work. But my guess is it would be a disaster. Um, but, uh, but thank you for that one. Uh, Ian, uh, Sadipt says, uh, what exactly is Virat Kohli doing wrong so far on this tour? He keeps nicking off. Um, I, I actually don't think he's in p- particularly good nick. I don't think he's seeing the ball as well. As he has been, he's played a couple of innings. He played one innings in uh, against England in the Test series over there, where I thought, "Oh, this is this is the Virat Kohli I'm used to." I think I wrote about it. He basically didn't miss it at all. It was a ridiculous innings. He hasn't really done that that often. He generally has looked—I don't want to say nervous, but he 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 hasn't looked as in control of his game. I think we have to—you know—this is a bowling era, so a lot of guys around the world are not making runs at the moment. I think that's very fair. I think we also have to, at a certain point, understand that the, that COVID probably hasn't helped people prepare the, the way that they would have wanted to to get as much cricket under there. Uh, so there's, you know, there's probably going to be a fluctuating um, records for some players. Now that will help some players and it will hurt other players. But uh, as far as why uh, you know Virat Kohli is nicking off, he just seems to be pushing his hands a little bit at the ball at the moment. It'd be really interesting if he can fix that by the end of the series. Amster says, are the cricket authorities guilty of sweeping racism under the carpet? He's talking about the Yorkshire thing. Cricket boards, sporting govern- governing bodies, do not are not the people who should be looking into themselves. Uh, you know, there's a famous story in cricket of a cricket board where a player went and said, I am guilty of match fixing. And the cricket board said, go away. We don't, we don't want that. We don't want that now. Uh, you know, I think the ICC anti-corruption unit, the people that they have do a great job, but they don't really want to find anything. And I'm not talking about the investigators, the investigators do, but the ICC don't want to find anything. Look at baseball. Baseball went out of its way in the, in the second drugs um, era to, you know, not be involved. Look, look at cricket. We could, you want to stop ball tampering? Put a camera on the ball. Cricket, cricket boards, sporting boards don't want to do anything. Now, you add racism to that, suddenly... When you talk about racism, you go from the back page to the front page very quickly. And, uh, you know, Azim Rafiq is, uh, he was a cricketer I watched a lot when he was young and always thought he was massively talented and didn't quite understand. I think we're understanding it now of what has happened to him. But they don't want to deal with this. They want it to go away. Look at England's stupid black T-shirt thing. No one wants to deal with this. No one wants to deal with sexism and racism and and politics within um, sport. They just want to put the sports on. And, you know, it's very rare to have a league like the NBA where the players just were so vocal that the NBA were like, do you know what? Let's get on board with this. Generally, it's the opposite, isn't it? Everyone's trying to shut all this down. You don't, you don't want, you know, some bald guy from middle England getting angry that your players are taking a knee. 
that's one customer you may not get. And so, yeah, I think um, as a general rule, cricket authorities are guilty of sweeping anything under the, uh, you know, under the rug that they don't want. And racism is clearly part of that. Yorkshire have made an absolute, I mean, Yorkshire could not have done this much worse. It's a real shame. It's a proud club. I think even outside of the racism, I think having talked to a lot of people who've played at Yorkshire over the last 10 to 20 years, I think there've been a lot of issues there for a long time. You know, uh, uh, so, someone explained it to me recently that the there was a whole generation of guys who sort of came up from the coal pits in, in Yorkshire and they were tough and they knew. The next generation pretended they were the exact same kind of people, even though they hadn't had that kind of background. And I think there's a toxic environment at Yorkshire and around Yorkshire cricket. And I think it's a shame because I think there's some great people up there. And I think they obviously are one of the most talented parts of of, of English cricket. And I do think it's a real crying shame. But, um, yeah, when it comes down to it, I think that uh, I think that cricket boards and sporting bodies don't want to deal with this. And that's Yorkshire are trying to do everything they can to get away with it. And Azam Rafiq isn't letting them do it. That's brilliant from him. Uh, you know, probably far more important than anything he could have done on the field. And he was a talented young cricketer as well. Uh, and Ellie says... Um, how do IPL and other T20 teams quantify the importance of number seven batters uh, related to their bowling experience? And look, it, it's really interesting. I can't remember off the top of my head. Was it they face, number sevens face about eight balls per innings? But if you don't have a number seven who can bat, you certainly look very poor. We've seen teams, I mean, uh, uh, Sydney Sixers tried Pat Cummins at number seven. Uh, I think Kyle Jamieson's batted at number seven for... Um, uh, CB over the la uh, last little while. I think that if you look at the Australian team, they've got, they're going to go in with Agar at seven, Cummins at eight, and Stark at nine. You basically still don't have a frontline batter, uh, Agar maybe, but I don't really see him as that um, in that position. And so there's, I think there's always a bit of, unless you have Andre Russell um, or Sunil Narine um, when he was at, at the peak of his batting, you're generally going to have to do that. I, I don't know, Ali, specific, every team is different and every, the conditions are different and sometimes you do it on different pitches. If you have a flatter pitch, you're probably more likely to have a bowler at number seven. And if you have a spicier pitch, you're probably more likely to have a batter at number seven. Um, but there aren't that many Moen Alleys out there who can really stretch out your batting lineup. So what teams are trying to do now is trying to make sure that they're seven, eight, and if possible, in franchise cricket, they're nine has some batting talent as well uh, so that they don't get caught out. But, yeah, seven, there's a marked drop-off at seven in franchise cricket. Uh, so thank you very much to the, the, the Spotify questions. They were great. All right, let's get to the green room questions. Corsa. Yeah, Did Kalsa. Kalsa. Oh, my God, I was, so, I was so hoping I got that right. Kalsa. Yeah, Damn. no problem. It's okay. Uh, what's your question, mate? Okay, the last week you were talking about that hero culture in Bangladesh. Okay, mm -hmm. we that's a complicated situation here. You know, we have maybe hundreds of you know social media page and uh, journalists here. So every creator gets so much hype, and uh, if one creator doesn't get that much hype, all of a sudden they feel that we are lost. So they had to make good friends with some journalists. So these are nowadays a now common thing in Bangladesh. So my question was not that, you know, okay, that... Uh, well, I, can I just stop you? 
Kausa. God, I've got to, I've got to write your name down. If, it's a weird uh, uh, pronunciation. No, it's not. It's my brain that's weird. Kausa. So I'm just going to stop you there. This is really interesting. I don't know if anyone's ever written about this before, but the Bangladesh media barrack more in the press box than any other media in the world. India can sometimes do it. Some of the associate teams do it, um, probably because they just they know all the players. But the Bangladesh media are the most supportive and cheering. In, like if you're in a press box and there's 10 Bangladeshi journalists, it's like being with fans, right? So really, really unlike anywhere else. And I think that's part of the problem. You want your press to be the ones to go, we're not fans. Uh, that, not to say that they're not fans of the game or fans of the players, because all those things are fine. But what you really want is them to be able to say, Mahmoudullah, like, mate, you haven't made 100 for 25 games. You're still strutting around here. Let's write a piece about that, right? And I think that so far that has been a problem within the Bangladesh cricket culture. But sorry, uh, what was your question? Yeah, uh, there was an incident that Mustafiz doesn't give interviews as they days to journalists. So journalists uh, really bashes him that, uh, you know, once in the last year maybe said that, that Mustafiz will never come back. Now, this type of uh, pressure on cricketers also made so that they had to become good friends with, uh, I think, uh, Janans. Okay, the thing was Shakib, you know, Shakib is uh, now in his last uh, two or three years of cricket. I mm. had been following so much uh, uh, that, you know, all-time 11 or the uh, 11 of 20 uh, first year century. So on them debate, on their uh, conversation, many of the time that when Shakib comes from most of the incident, I feel that they don't feel that he is, he can be in the first element. And I also understood why they feel it because all of a sudden you feel that Shakib always played at number five, but Shakib mm. doesn't, doesn't like to bet at, uh, doesn't like to come at uh, the 30th over, 30, 31st over, 30th over. He always likes to bat at after uh, the power play in ODI cricket. Mm. So uh, he always he told that in uh, in an interview in 2016 when the team was growing and uh, becoming a good team. You now he felt that I can't bat at number five because before when I bat at number five I had to come at uh, after 10, over, 10 overs. Now the team is improved has improved. I can't bat at number five. I will have to bat up to the order to get runs. That was his excuse, and uh, uh, not excuse. That was his encouragement. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, and, and I know, I'm, and I think I didn't uh, complete the question. I should complete, then I leave it on you. Now, I find that in every eleven, you know, best eleven or everything, mm. he always has given, you know, that he he is so one-dimensional leader. And you can't find any place for him. You'll have to make a place for Shakin. Then you'll have to. Then you'll have to sacrifice for a uh, sacrifice a position for like leaders like uh, Joe Root, you know, uh, King Nelson. Other than that, there is better number five batsman or better number six batsman. He's obviously not a number six batsman. Right. He can't whack the ball and you know, like uh, Ben Stokes or you know Andrew Russell or anyone you know in ODI format. So it's a really complicated situation. I feel that you know. He, no, I got you. I got you. I think he's I, always the number number second uh, player for you. Beautiful. Well, let, let me explain. Let me explain why I think this works. Essentially, you ha I think you have to understand with someone like Shakib that I mean he is the most talented player that Bangladesh has ever had. He might be the most talented player that Bangladesh has had for ten or fifteen years. I don't. Uh, sorry, for the next ten or fifteen years. I I don't think people actually 
have ever fully understood what an incredible cricketer he is. But he's also, if he was playing for India or England, Australia, you know, uh, South Africa, New Zealand, these sorts of teams, Pakistan, he probably would be more in the lines of a number six or a number seven player uh, with a bat, and then you would bowl him your 10 overs, right? Because he's from Bangladesh and he's so uniquely talented, uh, he has the, you basically have to fit the team around him. So if, if, if you look at he's he's probably in one-day cricket a slightly better batter than Ravi Dadeja um, and a slightly better bowler than Ravi Dadeja in one-day cricket. Not quite the fielder, obviously. But Ravi Dadeja fits into the Indian team the way they need him to fit in. Because in, Shakib is more talented, you have to fit the team around Shakib because he is so talented. Now, there are players like this that have obvious flaws, as you said. Um, you know, the, the reason he doesn't want to bat down the order is he doesn't want to come in and just whack the ball because he probably doesn't have the power he did of, you know, was about 10 years ago when he could do that. And he is a flawed batter. He really should be a number six or a number seven. Um, but for Bangladesh, they've had to push him up the order and make him into a top order player as much as possible. You see really talented players like this all the time. And what you have to do with a player like him, I, you know, I, I support Denver Nuggets. You know, we've got Nikola Jokic. Now, incredible player, the Joker is. But because he's a seven-foot player who can't defend the rim, it means that every decision that Denver make has to be around him. Now, you, you're right that that is not an ideal situation for Shakib to be in. It would be much better if Shakib would bat. You know, he's not as good a bat as Joe Root or Kane Williamson. He's not even close to their kind of level. But it, but because of the, the, the way that he could transform Bangladesh's team, what you really want to be able to do is use him to his maximum because his maximum is still going to be averaging probably 40 in one-day cricket, and he can hit the ball at you know, a strike rate of 85, probably more often than not, and he's not going to be able to come in and get the power runs later on. That is, I think, the best use of someone like him. So I, I understand why you're frustrated, but I think you have to understand that when you have a player who is that talented and has the ability to transform your team, you're better off, if you can, to play around them rather than make them do all the stuff. So if you look at the opposite of that is England. Whereas like Ben Stokes' absolute best position is probably batting six, so he can bowl twenty overs or uh, twenty-five overs a test, thirty overs a test. They can't do that. He has to bat five. He might end up batting three, right? And then it, they might not get the most out of Ben Stokes that they could. But that is because they are trying to they're trying to like bend Ben Stokes into every different direction. What Shakib is saying is. Get me in early, let me play through the middle of the innings, and then other people can play around me. That is my best position. It will allow us to get the most out of me. And he knows that he's too flawed to be able to just be able to, the way that Ben Stokes, you could throw Ben Stokes in at five or six or seven, and he could play that role, or you could throw him in at three and play that role. Shakib's just not at that level anymore. He missed some cricket. He's not uh, the hitter of the ball he once was. So uh, it's a great question, mate. Thank you very much. Kyle, you there? Can you hear me? How you doing, mate? So I'm a lifelong baseball fan, but I've been following cricket the last few years. Actually, Beautiful. I've really been enjoying your videos about cricket analytics. Oh, um, it seems to be following where baseball was about 20 years ago, changing from focusing on traditional counting stats like average to stats that more focus on players' actual value. And the last few years, baseball's had another evolution with focusing on spin rate of balls mm. and fielding places based on batters' trends. 
How far do you think cricket is away from getting to those type of analytics? And how do you see cricket analytics advancing in professionalism and usage or efficiency? All right. Well, the first thing is that cricket has been massively behind baseball in so many things. But oh my God, how did no one in baseball for like 70 years realize that the best thing to do is to move the field, Carl? I remember I talked to um, Ben Lindbergh on his, um, on his podcast and I was like, what, what on earth were you guys watching? Like, it's quite clear that a player can either pull or slice or hits down the middle, like in baseball. It's a nor- you could see it. We all watch golf. You, you don't even have to go to cricket. You can watch golfers and you realize that this happens, right? And they did it for, what's his name? Is it Ted Williams? Am I right? Yeah, uh-huh. Ted Williams. Yeah. They did it for him in the 50s and it worked and they stopped doing it, right? It's incredible sometimes how stupid sport can be. Don't get me, don't get me started on b- basketball as not doing the underhand method um, for free throws as well. Um, but, you, yeah, you're right. I think – so what happened in cricket was around when Moneyball came out, it was a big, big – I won't say big movement, actually. A very small movement in cricket. Uh, you had guys like um, Tunga working with uh, Cricket Australia. You had um, video analysts coming into the game. And a lot of them tried to take this stuff, but they didn't have the ball-by-ball stuff. And that's obviously where it changed. So then ball-by-ball basically swept in through the IPL. So Rajasthan used it a little bit in their first year, probably by 2010, 2011, uh, you know, uh, England, India, and most of the IPL teams were using some sort of ball-by-ball data. You now have guys all over the line, you know, um, people like me using it. So that's the big sweep through. What baseball's advantage is, is that, forget the spin rate for a minute, but they, they can track every game because baseball is owned by MLB, right? So they put up a camera and they do spatial tracking of all the fielders and they have the, um, all the uh, navigation uh, software uh, for the pitchers and that is then spread out to everyone and that was a huge advantage. Cricket is like a million different leagues, Kyle. <laughs> So that's where our problem comes. I have been, I talked to the Big Bash in 2017, 2018, uh, talked to Anthony Everard. I had a really good chat with him. Um, uh, And I said, why on earth are you not just putting up spatial tracking cameras? You got, it would help Cricket Australia in a heartbeat. We'd know where every fielder is. We'd understand fielding on a level we've never, ever felt before. Um, We'd be able to work out, you know, so balls hit to long on and players take two. Okay. Is that... The captain put the fielder in the wrong position. Was the fielder slow off the mark? Was the throw wrong? Uh, did he throw to the wrong end? We can work all that out with algorithms, right? And, and it's easy, but it needs investment. And one league needs to do it. Now, why no one has done it, I don't know. So that was 2017. I talked to the Big Bash. I was told in 2018 the IPL were going to do it. They haven't done it. And then the 100 told me, oh, you, what, Jared, just give us all your ideas and we'll use them. Nothing. Nothing is, is happening in the 100, right? The only thing they've done is the spin rate. But if you notice when you watch the 100, they use the spin rate for the spinners only. And I actually think it's useless. Well, it's not useless for the spinners. It's, it's handy for the spinners. It's really the spin rate is more important for fast bowlers, as you know from baseball. So I think the problem here is that no one runs the game. And so there is no board who can do this. But there are leagues that can do it. Uh, look, I've talked to IPL teams about this. Uh, I've talked to CPL teams about this. I don't think we're far away from a couple of owners getting together and going, okay, let's add, uh, let's do this. But the um, if you go back, Kyle, I wrote a piece for Crick Info maybe about a year back now where I, I talked about all the different things that we could use in T20 cricket. I, off the top of my head, it costs about five grand to get one of those woodpecker cameras. 
Um, I've now forgotten the name of them. Um, but they're, they're the cameras that the um, baseball guys use. Um, Driveline Baseball um, sort of pioneered them um, in America and now almost every major league baseball team has. What I want more than anything in the world is to get Benny Howell and Pat Brown and uh, Mustafa Rahman and, and Tamal Mills in front of those cameras. Literally see what these guys are doing. Like, even if you go down to um, uh, Mohamed Siraj, how the fuck is he, is he moving the ball so much at the moment, right? Someone just put a, a video up. I forget who it was on. Uh, sorry, a, a still of it uh, up on Twitter. And he is cutting the ball sideways without breaking his wrist. What is he doing differently? All those cameras can help. And that's what you're talking about. That's that next level. And um, there's a great book by Ben Lindbergh. Uh, it's called The MVP Machine. I forget his co-author, uh, which is annoying. Uh, you read that and you realize what baseball has done. And like, if it was me, I would hand that out to every owner and every general manager and every head coach of every franchise and national team in the world and say, guys, this, we're not even talking millions of dollars here. We're just talking about smart investments. And part of the problem is that there's just so little money in cricket that is like, there's no... <laughs> These T20 leagues aren't making money the way that Major League Baseball or NBA or NFL Premier League is, right? So the investments really need to be from the ground up. You really need to, to buy in. Uh, and I have talked to owners who understand this, and, and it might happen. But, yeah, that, that's why it hasn't happened. It's not that people don't believe in it, uh, although that's obviously a problem as well, Carl, to be fair. But uh, it's not that people don't believe in it. It really is that there is no sort of one league that is powerful enough to do it. My guess is in the next couple of years, the IPL will do all that sort of stuff and it will filter into all the other smaller leagues. But, you know, I, I worked with Cricket Scotland and I was like, for five grand, you can learn how your bowlers bowl slower balls. So much so. So there's a great moment, I think it might be in um, the MVP machine book, where they're talking about, I think it's Travis uh, Bauer, who obviously is not, you know, the greatest story in the world at the moment. <laughs> but, um uh, sexual misconduct for those of you who don't follow baseball, but Travis Bauer and his father are looking at the um, slow motion, uh, you know, and I think it's, what is it? It's 800 frames a second, or uh, I'm trying to remember the number. It's ridiculous. It was made for, it was made to film woodpeckers anyway, off the top of my head, or if not woodpeckers, very uh, hummingbirds, it might be actually, sorry. And, and that, uh, him and his father are having this argument about what finger the ball comes off when it comes out of his hand for a particular pitch and whether he pushes with his fingers or whether the ball is released from his fingers. Think about that. We're not even anywhere near, get a great bowling mind like Ian O'Brien or Benny Howell or um, Ian Bishop or Roddy Eswick or, you know, one of these great bowling minds to look at that footage. What could we do? Bowlers are already dominating. We can, we could drop the global averages by another five runs here, my man, um, which is probably why, some people don't want it to happen. But there's also great stuff that we can learn from batting as well and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, uh, it, you're right. It's just, it's just got stuck because of the industry. So I think the best way to explain it, actually, is, and, and I've been using this for years, that the American sporting leagues and Premier League football, or English, uh, not English football, but football in general, Spanish, German, English, they are private leagues run in capitalist ways. And cricket is... It basically coming from government run. And so we have all the advantages of government run, which there are advantages, but all the negatives, which is it takes longer to do everything. There's more red tape. And, you know, you go to Cricket Scotland, you go, it's five grand for a camera. And they're like, well, for five grand, we could, you know, buy a lot of extra cricket balls. 
Yes, you could. I, I don't disagree with that, but you could also do this. And, you know, that's not having to go at Cricket Scotland because they're a poorer board. But you can see, you know, you go to Barbados or, or St. Lucia like me and say, five grand for this camera and we can learn all these things. Yeah, but how much are we going to use it? That's the industry that, we're, that we have in cricket. But uh, thank you very much for your question, mate. That, that was great. Dev Dutz? Uh, I just had two questions, Shahid. Uh, mm -hmm. so the first uh, one being about Langer and how Tempian has uh, brought his support for him. And okay. on the other hand, when Finch, uh, when Finch was asked about the same, he was quite reserved about what should happen. This was, of, of course, before uh, Nick Hockley's comment. So mm -hmm. I just want to know when there are dual captains here and there is an uh, issue with the coach who coaches all the three teams. Where does the opinion of captain stand? And my second question is about Moin Ali being asked to come back for the 100 tournament and being in the third test squad as well. And at the same time, he doesn't have a red ball contract. So he, he doesn't really have to be available for the test matches. So where does it uh, make him stand in the longest run? Because ECB are not prioritizing uh, test cricket uh, is what it... Uh, look, I think Moin Ali loves test cricket. Uh, loves, he's, uh, Moin Ali's a cricketer. Not all players are... I mean, we... we you know, they, they talk about that with basketball, don't they? That, you know, there are, there are hoopers and non-hoopers, if, if you know what I mean. Moanelli's a cricketer. He's a natural at every different part of it, and he loves it. It's his thing, right? I don't, there are so many cricketers who would prefer to be golfers or footballers or basketballers or whatever sport that they like. That's not Moanelli. So I think if you say to him, do you want to play more cricket? He's probably going to say yes, unless he's, you know, mentally tired or, or physically tired. So... Uh, I think that's the best way of answering that. I understand what you're saying with the contracts and everything, but I think from a Moeen Alley point of view, he's going to want to represent England as much as possible. So it's tough for him, but also think that, I mean, he, he, there's a certain point where we have to accept that these cricketers are doing this all the time now anyway, and we use it as an excuse when they fail, and it is an excuse when they fail to a certain point, but it is also part of modern cricket. The ability to go from one format to another is literally part of the game now. The, the Justin Langer, Tim, Tim Payne, uh, uh, Aaron Finch thing is quite interesting. There's, there, look, there's a power vacuum in Australian cricket in many different ways. Langer is probably one of the most powerful coaches Australia's ever had, but Australia still doesn't quite put coaches up on that sort of elevated level. Tim Payne is still seen as sort of a fragile player uh, who may get dropped at any time, who an accidental captain, as great a job as he's done. Um, and look, I didn't think he'd be able to even play at this level consistently at his age, um, considering, you know, what happened to his hand. Um, and so I, th I think that's certainly so something with, with, with Tim Payne. Aaron Finch is... Unlike Owen Morgan, no Australian white ball captain has ever been that powerful just because the test captaincy is such a big deal, but also because, you know, Aaron Finch hasn't had the success that he can do what Owen Morgan's done and drag things forward. It's an interesting thing. What, what I would say about Langer is that I don't believe he should have been picked as a coach at the time. I don't think he's been a particularly good coach throughout his run, even when Australia have been winning. I don't think he is the right coach for this era of players. And I don't think the players have particularly wanted him. If you go back and watch the test, it is incredible. People like go, oh, Langer, he's, he's like Ricky Gervais from The Office. Well, Ricky Gervais in The Office is an absolute fucking asshole all the way through. And people are laughing at him, not with him. And they're laughing through gritted, awkward teeth, right? 
I don't, I don't think Langer see, I think Langer sees out this contract. I think Nick Hockley's statement was basically like uh, he's he's going to the end of his contract. I probably would have said we'll have Langer as coach until the end of your contract, and then uh, he can reapply if he wants to with everyone else. Is probably how I would have done it. But yeah, there's a, there's a big power vacuum kind of within Australian cricket. There isn't that one strong figure anymore. Steve Smith's obviously been obviously been dis, um, diminished a little bit. James Sutherland's not even there. There's no real person there. So I think everyone is free to have their say um, at the moment. And if you're one of Langer's friends, you'll defend him. And if you're not, I think there's a lot of people. Look, I, I've always been a skeptic when it comes to Justin Langer. Um, go back and uh, have a look at some of my previous record. I, you know, he got picked largely to coach Australia on the back of the Perth Scorchers. And that he was basically cheating um, how he put together the roster. And I don't use that word flippantly. They were cheating. Uh, the, the the big bash rules to be able to put together an incredible roster, which won them a lot of big bashes. And they were a brilliant team, one of my favorite teams to watch. Uh, and you can't do that at international level. And I think he gets frustrated and I think he gets angry. Um, and uh, Tim Payne has said what he had to say. And, and Aaron Finch has said what he's had to say. It, it's, a, it's a really, really interesting situation. But Devdut, thank you very much for your question. Koshik, you can unmute, my friend. Uh, Jared. Hi. Yeah, in the last session, you were talking about batting positions in Test cricket and, you know, how, uh, you know, someone asked if whether uh, Sam Curran can bat at six and you said that, no, he absolutely cannot. And uh, that comment stood up pretty well, yeah? Did he, ma- he didn't make a run in the next test, did he? Yeah. He, 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 King Pear. It's right. Uh, uh, and then you said that uh, Ravi Jadija, you know, probably wouldn't do as well as he is at number seven and if he batted at number six. Uh, but uh, why do you think that is? Because uh, for someone that has followed Jadija's career, he seems like he's really improved his batting over the years. And, you know, uh, it's not like as if he's just hitting the new ball. He's like actually constructing innings properly now, you know. Yeah. In Melbourne, he got that uh, 50 with Rahane under overcast conditions. And I think he had to see the new ball there as well. And... Uh, I think if you if you look at his innings, they're still plucky thirties and handy fifties and clever seventies, right? Yeah, I'm not sure they are top order innings. What they are is a is a player who's very talented making runs compared to what a top order player would do. So he's hanging around for long enough and then cashing in um, quite often at the end. There's a difference between that and making an innings. And I think that if you go back and look at what you're talking about, what he, what he does is quite often is he hangs around for a long time, gets himself set, and then starts to make runs. There's a difference between that and say, I'm just going to pick a name at random, like Ian Bell, right? Ian Bell is like, okay, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to do this now. I'm going to attack this bowler. It, what Ravi Jadeja is doing is very one-dimensional. It's very Dan Vittori which is I'm going to hang in, I'm going to hang in, I'm going to hang in, I'm going to make runs any way I can. Once I'm set, I'll play some shots, right? That's what seven, eight, nines do, right? That's not how you bat up the order, and it's a different skill set. Now, the only thing I would say is this has happened before. Imran Khan is probably the best case scenario for Jadeja's batting, I think. Imran Khan averaged 50 for nine years in, in the 80s, into the early 90s. And did it exactly the way he, I don't think I would argue that Imran Khan never really made it, never really became a batter. What he really did was just kind of kept creeping up the order and having lots of not outs, which Jadeja has had. 
um, and having lots of lower end scores, right? Yeah, I, I think that's possible. Now, the only thing I would throw into that is that Jadeja has batted at four and five first-class cricket in a way that Vittori and Imran Khan... So Vittori and Imran Khan come at this from a different perspective and that they were both child prodigies or young prodigies who learned to bat by being around international cricket for 10 years, right? Jadeja, we at least know, could organise an innings at, you know, like a proper batter at an earlier age. So we know that he has that within him. So there is a possibility for that. He, so he... I, if you said to me, could he bat at six... I would say yes, but I don't see any advantage for India for him batting at six. I just don't see it. I mean, Pant, Pant can bat at six and he can bat at seven, and they've got two all-round talent in their top seven. Why do you need him to bat at five or six at that point? Would be my question with Jadeja. But, yeah, I think there is a possibility for him to be able to transform himself to that, but I almost don't want him to do that. He, he has the ability to be, over the next five years, the world's best number seven. Right and consistently make runs, uh, completely transform India's batting lineup by being by being. Most number sevens don't average over thirty-five. Right, he could average fifty batting there if he keeps going the way he is. Why would you want to take that away and move him up the order where and, and, and play with his play with his mind a little bit um, and, and to do that? And him batting at six doesn't help their team because they have a wicketkeeper who can bat at six. Um, I just think that. Punt at six, Jadeja at seven is such a great one-two shot. I don't see why you would change that for anything. But there is a possibility that, yeah, he has a sort of Imran, uh, Imran um, Khan-type uh, career where he changes his batting. He's never going to be if, – if you look at it, and people talk about Steve Smith a lot in this situation, but Steve Smith grew up as a batter, right? But if you look at Mark Richardson and Ravi Shastri – Mark Richardson never really developed to be a batter. He basically was a really good number 10 who became an opening batter who played the exact same way. I'm going to take as many balls as possible. It's very rare to learn batting skills. Asa Ali is a really good uh, example of this, actually. Asa Ali and Mark Richardson are very similar. I don't think either of them particularly think like batters. They're just very good at taking every ball on its merit. Asa Ali hits the ball to the fielders more than anyone I've ever seen. My God, I mean, mid-off must just be bored of Asa Ali when he's out there right? Because he doesn't have the ability to go, I'm just going to hit this wide of this fielder now. He can hit every ball dead straight. And, and he's incredible at what he does. And as was Mark Richardson. Ravi Shastri, I think, was slightly different in that particular situation. But there aren't that many guys who learn the art of batting. They, they quite often learn how to hang around longer. Jadeja has the ability perhaps to be able to do that. But uh, I just, I don't see, I don't see how he, him batting up the order really is necessary for, for India. They have so many great batting talents Why? who are better than him, who can construct better innings, who can be more destructive. They're not going to be able to find many better number sevens than him, though. He's absolutely perfect number seven. Um, you know, and if Washington Sundar, you know, continues to grow um, or Ashwin sticks around, then you've got a great number eight as well. I just think that. And Akshar as well. There's, there's so much talent there. I just don't think... Um, I, I don't think you necessarily need to worry about that. But a uh, great question, Koshik. Ah, Giant, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Jared. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. What's your question? Um, so I'm just asking about basically the Indian middle order. I mean, when is the point when we start to worry about Kohli, Pajara and Rahane's form? Or do we not need to at all? Because my kind of worry is that I don't think that 
in this squad, the current series, that's a, any like real replacements for them. I know we've got a Sky for three sure, but I'm also not confident about their ability stepping into what's still a really good England attack in, in England. Yeah, I, I don't worry about form. I worry about whether Rahane and Pajara can continue to be the players they need to be. In Pajara's case, I just don't think he can be that player anymore. I think we've had a natural slowing down of, of his talent. I think he'll still be a wonderful player at first class level if he wants to. And, uh, you know, if he ever wants to be a batting coach, I think everyone in the world will probably hire him in a heartbeat, um, especially for red ball cricket, maybe not so much white ball cricket. Rahane, I, I, I'm not as worried about. I think he's still a good age. I st- think he's got quite a few years uh, within him. He's trended down a little bit, but he's trended down at the exact... Rahane's a great player of, of, the, of the red fast ball, right? And this is an era where, the, what I've been calling it the pace pandemic, where no one can play pace bowling anymore. And, and his averages dipped at the exact same time that the global averages dipped. So I'm not too worried about him at all. Uh, Coley, absolutely. I mean, you can't drop Coley, so it doesn't matter. Like, he's, you can't drop a player of that talent. He's going to work it out or he's not going to work it out. And in a series like this, if him or Steve Smith or... Joe Root has a bad series. You just have to take it on the chin because they have so many good series. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't make any. I wouldn't make any moves. The, the only one I would wonder about is can they bring back another opener and maybe try KL Rahul or or, or 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 try someone at perhaps at first drop. I don't know. I know Pajara only made what did he make forty the other day? It was forty off two hundred balls? It was such an important forty when you think about. When you have to factor in those 200 balls, when you look at how tired England look when they're bowling at India's tail, right? That's where Pajara has incredible value. No one else has taken 200 balls out of that game, right? And I would be willing to keep going with him, but everything that we have on the history of Pajara says he's not going to make any runs on in, in England. It's never, it doesn't do it in county level. It doesn't do it in international level. He's just never made runs in England. So I could see why they might make a change there. But I don't think that, you know, you're going to bring someone in and that person's going to make 300s in, uh, you know, in a row or anything like that. Uh, I think you have to be quite realistic about uh, throwing a young player in now. Sky's not a particularly great first-class player. Uh, you know, obviously, Prisby Shaw is an incredible natural talent. Um, it, certainly, I think he can make it as a test player. But, yeah, I think um, Pajara is the one that I would think if he fails in this test, It'd be interesting to see what they do going forward. But I just I do not believe India win that last test without his 40. Uh, I thought it was an incredible innings. He, 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 cha- he, changed the mom- he changed the way that that game was going and gave India a chance of winning that game. That at that, I think when he, when he was batting, I don't think anyone really thought was, was a possibility. So, Jayant, thank you very much for your question. Thank you very much. I can only do a couple of quick ones now. Amateo. Hi, Jayant. How are you doing? A couple of quick questions. What have you got? Go. So, Josh English has been included in the Australian T20 World Cup squad. Yeah. So, what's your thought on that? Because he hasn't played a single T20 international. And would you play him ahead of Matthew Wade in the World Cup? Yes, I would. Um, I, it's taken everything I have not to send George Bailey, uh, uh, you know, a bouquet of flowers for this decision. I think he's, I think in Asia, he's going to make more runs than Matthew Wade. I think he has more batting flexibility than Matthew Wade, probably in the order. Um, he's batted middle order. He's batted top order. He, uh, he's confident. I think he's playing br- brilliant cricket. I'm a huge fan of him. Uh, Australia picking a player for the conditions who's ready is incredible. Now, 
I temper all that with the fact that he's not played and he's going to have to win a World Cup uh, with, with an uncapped player, which is very, very rare. But I just think that he makes the team better and he is a uh, true talent and I'm a big fan. So, yeah, um, huge, huge that the, uh, Australia have picked him. And I do think that, you know, I hope that he, um, we could keep ahead of Matthew Wade. And I've always been a Matthew Wade fan. I just, just think Inglis is a better player at the moment. Great question. Thank you. Rohan, quick question. Yeah, hi. Hi. I wanted to ask a simple question. Does cricket come in the top three sports in England and Australia? This is one of those questions that's almost impossible to answer because what does that mean? You know, it gets on the front page a lot more than most sports. Like tennis gets about a week and a half of the year where it gets a chance of front page. Cricket is on the front page in England a lot more than that. Cricket is the national sport for Australia and it's the biggest sport for about two months of the year. Uh, the rest of the year, Aussie rules is the biggest sport and rugby league is probably um, a bigger sport than most of that time. So no, but does it have to be? Basketball's, you know, my second favorite sport and it's arguably what the third or fourth most popular sport in, in America. Who cares? It's popular in Serbia and it's popular in Argentina and Japan and the Philippines and Australia and New Zealand. We, we, people are obsessed about this thing. I don't it doesn't matter if it's the most popular sport. It matters that there are enough people who like it and love it. And there certainly are in the UK and Australia. There's been, I, I think Australia had a huge problem before the Big Bash. I think cricket was slipping. Uh, the Big Bash seems to have got a bit more front and centre and kids are more interested now. Uh, cricket has a huge problem in England. Uh, you know, we talked about the Yorkshire thing early on. Uh, you, they already lost a whole um, generation of Caribbean and former Caribbean um, or people from the Caribbean um, ethnicity group. Um, who now don't follow cricket anymore, and that's just bullshit. That's the ECB's fault. State school kids are not don't have any access to the, the game. My, I don't think my son played a game of cricket at school this year. That's ridiculous in England, you would think. Um, you know, a Asian cricket fans are, are, are seen on the side, but realistically, you know, you have a big ashes. Um, well, Ben Stokes gets caught doing something. It's on the front page of the paper, right? It's still a very big sport. I would say that in England, football is so big and cricket is probably, you know, it's probably still, it might be the second biggest sport. It's just that that is a mile behind football. Um, and in Australia, it's the national sport, but maybe not the biggest sport, which I know doesn't always make sense, but Australia is a weird place. But yeah, um, uh, great question. But uh, yeah, I hope that, hope that one answers it for you. Right. Yeah, thanks. Beautiful. I have... Time for a couple of quick ones. Jimmy. Hi, Jared. Hi. Two quick questions. Okay. So I wanted to ask that after the retirement of Shane One, mm -hmm. why aren't we seeing means good quality leg spinners in the oh. Red Bull circuit anymore? You can't. This is such an annoying question. Let let me complete. Let me complete. <laughs> it's not at least not the level of Shane One, but at least uh, good leg spinners. We had Shane One, Miguel, and uh, Anil Kumble. But now aren't, we aren't seeing any good like, quality in this in Red Bull record. But in yeah, limited okay. times, there are a lot of spinners around, but very few finger players. Very hard to answer this quickly. But let me start with this. Before Shane Warne, in the 50 years before him, how many good leg spinners were there around? I mean, there were Pakistan's, there were good leg spinners. Abdul Kadir. Abdul Kadir. Abdul Kadir, yes. Yep. And we had Ahmed and Anna as well. Richie Benno finished in the 60s, right? We had. And, uh... so, so, no, no, but just listen to what you've just said. Before that, we were the good lead spinners. You picked two 
One played in the 80s and one played in the 60s, right? We had an incredible era where a bunch of really good leg spinners came through. Partly because of Shane Warne, I think teams started picking leg spinners a little bit more as well. So you had people like, you might forget, but guys like Brian Strang played and Ian Salisbury played, right? All those guys, I think, were partly because of um, Shane Warne and Anil Kumble, I suppose, um, um, to a certain extent as well. Stuart McGill probably plays 10 tests if it isn't for Warne realistically. I mean, people think that Warren stopped him from playing. I'm not sure McGill, McGill was a leg spinner from Perth. He wouldn't have even got any games. He wouldn't have even got headhunted by New South Wales if leg spin wasn't popular at a certain point. The, the most important thing is that leg spin is incredibly hard and that Shane Warren, Stuart McGill, Anil Kumble, Mushtaq Ahmed were four of the best 20 leg spinners we've ever had all at one time. We don't have, Imran Tahir is an incredible leg spinner and he's not in their class, Right. The second thing is that the white ball comes through and the ability to spin the ball in both directions is far more important. The thing that you want to be able to do really well in red ball cricket is have a great stock ball. You want your, your normal ball to be so good that it is constantly threatening, whether you're a seam bowler, a finger spinner, a wrist spinner, it doesn't matter. You want your, your normal ball to be really, really good and constantly threatening. In white ball cricket, that's not what you want. You want the ability to that the other players can't line you up, especially in T20 cricket, that the other players can't line you up and they're not sure which way the ball is going to go. Wrong and just are not as important in red ball cricket as they are in white ball cricket. And so I think there are probably Rashid Khan, Adil Rashid, Shadab Khan, uh, all these sorts of guys, uh, Zampa. If they'd come through in the 90s, I think they all would have been probably slightly better red ball bowlers. I'm not sure any of them would have been on the quality of what you're talking about. Maybe Imran Tahir is the only one that is different because at his best probably could have got to that level. Um, but for, for the rest of them, they are working on all these different skills and everything um, that they need. I still think that Rashid Khan, if he was, you know, if Rashid Khan was playing for India or New Zealand, uh, I still think he would be a great test match bowler. I'm not sure I feel that way about kind of any of the other guys coming through. L Lamashani, uh, you know, Sandeep Lamashani, I think he's a really good leg spinner. I don't think he would be a great test leg spinner, though. And this is the thing. We haven't had many in the history of the game. It's a really hard thing to do. And, and T20 cricket makes it a lot easier. And even one-day cricket makes it a lot easier. And the skills are much more transferable there. Guys like Adam Zampa and Mitchell Sepson, would they be able to do good in... Red ball cricket, if they are bracket Australian team? I don't think Zampa would ever be a good test match bowler. Uh, Swipson, maybe, maybe a little bit more is, is a possibility. I just don't know if he would... Because yeah. I just don't know. They have yeah. to look for someone beyond. They have to look beyond him at some time in the future. So Yeah, perhaps. I mean, he's a finger spinner and he's genuinely pretty fit. I mean, it, there's no reason why Lion can't play for another four or five years. But yeah, I think I think Swipson is the guy that they've been looking at. Um... Uh, but yeah, I don't know if anyone's going to be working on those skills enough uh, going forward. But a very good question. Sorry, I'm just running out of time uh, to be able to answer that. But thank you, Jimmy. All right, last question and Raj. Oh, hi, Jared. Uh, my question is closely based on the county cricket. We've seen uh, players from uh, all around creating nations go play county cricket uh, before an English tour or uh, when they have some freedom. Uh, why doesn't that happen so often with uh, like the people uh, players don't go play uh, a Sheffield Shield before an Australia tour or they don't even think about Ranji Trophy Cup before coming to an Indian tour or what is it called now a four-day domestic cup before going to a uh, South Africa tour uh, why does it's not that they don't think of it money 
right? County cricket makes money. County boards have money to pay players to play for them. The success of the county teams, this is part of the reason the whole 100 thing and oppose the 100 and all this sort of thing. The county system is not set up to make players for England. The county system is set up for Leicestershire to win the county championship, right? That's why members pay their membership, right? That is not, you and I did not have, you know, membership when it comes to, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't pay for a Victorian cricket membership, right? You don't have a, whichever, whichever your, you know, uh, first class affiliation team is, you don't have a membership for that. County crowds get crowds in. They want to pay people to play. They, people have always been paid to play cricket in England. Um, club cricket level, school cricket level. You know, I mean, Chris Jordan and, and Owen Morgan both went to Dulwich College. They were both recruited from Barbados and, and um, uh, Belfast, Belfast, Dublin, sorry, um, to go to Dulwich College and play. There's always been money in English cricket to pay people to play. That's why it happens. I very occasionally, if you have a look, I think, I reckon Steve Harmison might have played some first-class cricket in South Africa before a tour. Occasionally in New Zealand, they do it. Uh, I think Jimmy Anderson, didn't he play for Auckland or Wellington? Someone like that at one stage. It has happened, but it's not set up for that. Then you've got the politics of it. So what, you're an Indian first-class team and you are going to drop a young Indian player so that Jimmy Anderson can come in for a game and warm up? There's politics in that, right? But it doesn't matter in county cricket because county team's trying to win. It's completely different. That's not what Sheffield Shield is set up for. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. Beautiful. Great question and a great way to finish. Thank you to everyone for their questions. This is really good. I was planning on doing a shorter chat, but we went very long. Thank you for all the support for my arm. As I said, if this uh, podcast that goes out on our Red Inca channel, you can also see it on YouTube if you want to see me smiling and, and moving my arm. And you can support us there. Patreon, if you want to support the podcast, you can go over to Patreon and, and help support us there. I just want to finish up with something. Uh, a thank you to someone. And if you watch this on YouTube, you'll probably be able to see it. But a, a young Indian, oh, I think he's Indian, a young cricket fan anyway, made a video uh, about my video styles, which he put up on Instagram. So we're just going to tack that on to the end here. Um, a, big, a big shout out to him. You can follow him on Instagram. But thank you to everyone for your questions. The quality of questions in these Spotify green rooms are great. So thank you to people who sent them through on Patreon before. Thank you to everyone who, who came through uh, today. Plenty of different ways to do this and you can follow us up. We've got some really good videos coming up as well. If you're watching this on YouTube, you, you'll be able to watch the um, uh, something coming up. But I've got a really, really good video, a mistake that an umpire made recently, which is quite funny, and a bunch of other videos coming up as well. But uh, thank you very much. I've been, I am and have been and will continue to be Jared Kimber. You're listening to Wagon Wheel on Red Inca, YouTube, and Spotify Green Room, where people have turned up today to ask their questions. Thank you very much, and goodbye. <laughs>